Hey, Sam. Hey, Teresa. What's up? Um, a lot, actually. It's been kind of a wild week. Got to see two of my favorite artists and um, potentially might also be going to Rolling Loud tomorrow for free. We'll see. Um, there was somebody who I didn't know in my bathroom. Well, not my bathroom. I guess like the house's bathroom today and told me a story about how he got robbed yesterday at Rolling Loud. And I was like, damn, that sucks. He's like, do you want to like go instead of me? Because I don't want to go back. I was like, what? <laughs> so we'll see how that pans out. But other than that, been a great week. You know what they say, one man's trauma is another man's treasure. No, and I was up, I had a class, so I was up at like 9am on a Friday. And I was like, it is the definition of like early bird gets the worm. So I felt like, damn, like so a lot of phrases out. being thrown around in your life <laughs> right now. There are plenty of fish in the sea. <laughs> Every well, dog has its That's day. actually hilarious. Um, <laughs> I am seeing Eve Toomer tonight, um, which is like, I feel like the perfect Halloween concert to go to. Um, I don't think I'm going to do a costume situation but I'm going to be wearing my purple pants and also probably put some fake blood on my neck. You know, you know, the vibes. <laughs> I know the vibes, trust me. <laughs> but okay. We are super excited today because we are going to be interviewing an absolute Chicago legend. We will be talking to the footwork producer, RP Boo, over a cherry soda. Great, let's get into it. So for this week, I chose um, cherry soda, specifically cherry Coke, but we could have gone like either way, you know, it's more about the cherry than the soda. Um, yeah, so I know I'm normally the one that is here to defend sodas. And I love like Dr. Pepper because it has that natural cherry in it. But like cherry Coke, I can never do cherry Pepsi. I can't really do it. Just it just feels like they're trying to be Dr. Pepper, but aren't quite as good at it. Yeah, um, I feel like I honestly don't mind cherry soda. We're not really a brand consumer facing podcast. So we prefer to leave brand names out of our episode titles, which is why we stuck to cherry soda, even though there's really only one cherry soda brand I can think of that's popular. Um, Yeah, I'm surprised that cherry cola is still around, honestly. Like, I don't know how I made it through the years. The pandemic is really the, pan- tough the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who was trying to <laughs> drink that during this tough time. <laughs> but um, I think cherry soda clearly gets a um, like a five out of ten from both of us. Sure. Perfect. <laughs> but we're super excited to get in today's episode because we are going to be talking to RP Boo. If you don't know RP Boo. Um, he was one of the founders of footwork, which is a genre of music that came out of Chicago, um, known for being played at pretty extreme tempos. And so we're going to be talking to him a little bit about his new album and then just how he's seen footwork change throughout the years. Great. Um, should we call him up right now? Yeah, let's call him up. Hello. So good to see you. Thanks so much for uh, making this happen. Oh, no problem. No problem. Are you in Chicago now? Yeah, I'm back home. 
Okay, cool. Is it starting to get cold? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so your new album, like, tells us, like, the fact that it's even called Established tells us pretty much all we need to know about, like, how much you matter to footwork and to music in general. Um, you built such an incredible legacy over the course of the past couple of decades. Do you feel like this album is a culmination of that work or is this just another step for you? It's just another step for me. Uh, that is, uh, everything I do started from legacy and going forward was always another step. Mm. And do you feel like that journey will ever be complete or do you feel like you'll always be taking more steps? I'll always be taking more steps. Uh, the way my brains operate is uh, something I saw as I started getting an understanding of how my life was going with this music. I was always to the point to say, I know what I want, but then I found out when I do get something that I want, it's always something else. So I say, enjoy the unknown and create what's in the unknown and shape it as long as I can until the day I'm not able to ever do it again. And kind of like going off of that, something obviously that was like unpredictable was the pandemic and like working in a genre that relies heavily on like performance and like dance. Like what was it like having that stripped away while still making sort of that type of music? Well, kind of uh, right before the pandemic happened uh, over the, the course of having agents, because I started in 2013 and traveling. So around about 2015 is when I first got approached by an agency and I end up getting two agents. Uh, agent represented me for the US, Canada, Mexico, then one for Europe and the UK. And I learned some things dealing with that and uh, it was a learning process. So I got to this one point and said, okay, I see some of the things that I was going through just off the business side, not the music, just the business and say, oh, now I can set my things the way I want to do them. And the next thing you know, here comes the pandemic. And it was like dealing with a financial status of what I was about to do with the shows that was placed. And it was like, I had uh, Tokyo, Italy, uh, it was uh, Berlin, Germany, and two more other places that was already set from uh, February of last year. And it was stretching all the way from April until like July. So does the pandemic happen? I was like, oh, now I can't do what I want to do. But something took place prior that I, that kept me level. The album was finished. And as the album was being finished, uh, I was able to say, you know what? Let me sit back and just take this pandemic and see what it would turn out to be. And as it came out, I was still able to get work. That was the surprising thing from like festivals, uh, party promoters all across the country uh, that I did business with prior. Uh, just the shows, the performances, and I guess they uh, really liked the service that I provided. So they reached out to me. So I was able to manage through the pandemic financially. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's great to hear. And 
I love how detailed the explanation you gave was. I never thought about how like complex all those pieces are. But talking about shows, I know you just did Pitchfork. Um, <laughs> and I know you've done Pitchfork before at least once. Yes. Um, and what was that like? I feel like that's such like a homecoming and Pitchfork has such like a dope legacy in terms of footwork. How was that? Well, it's a story behind Pitchfork that was like mind blowing. Uh, the day, I, the week prior, uh, I was hired to do uh, Vans uh, TV, Vans, yeah, Vans TV 66, which was being uh, streamed live. But it was the same day of Pitchfork uh, that Saturday. So Friday, I knew I had a party to do Friday here in Chicago at Smartbox that was celebrating the week before the album come out. So here comes the week of, well, of checking the emails and I get another email. And the email came in on Thursday, the day, be the, the day before Pitchfork started. So <clears throat> I'm looking at the email and the email says, uh, Pitchfork, and we know that you're doing Vans 66 down the street. I'm like, wait a minute, what's this? And it was like, we want you to do uh, Pitchfork Festival. I'm like, wait a minute, Pitchfork Festival? At the last minute, I, so I tell them, say, reach out to my agent. So my agent knew nothing of it. They got in touch with me direct. And the agent was shocked himself. Like, oh, say you off a Pitchfork? Yeah. So they managed the time to uh, set it. I was able to play at the last minute, uh, 45 minute run and then still had at least about an hour and a half before I go to my next session, which was three walking blocks away. Oh, uh, and so it was like an honor to do Pitchfork again. And uh, I did what I had to do. This year was a little bit different from the first time uh, dealing with the pandemic. Uh, a lot of people, didn't know that uh, I sent out invitation for some dancers to come again, mm. and everybody was more of like we're not vaccinated. Uh, I said pitchfork is only accident that you take a test like within twenty four hours and say to well you just negative and you can get in, and it wasn't that with the people that I invited. It was more of they didn't want to get tested. They did. So it was only had two dashes this year. And I was like, you know what? Let me do what I normally do and let's have a good time. And we delivered. I'm talking about yeah. we delivered. That's <laughs> why I was asking because when I saw the video, like, I've never seen someone like look as happy as you looked up on that stage. Like, it must have felt so good to just like. It's always good like, to perform at home. Always. Yeah. 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 Yes. Um, no, sorry, what were you going to say? Just because home is, as long as I've been DJing at home before we start being able to do festivals and clubs, it's one thing. And it's like, it died out and the the scene changed. But then you have an opportunity to stand on a stage and perform in front of thousands of people. And you in your hometown and you look at it as like, we never and footwork would ever have this type of uh, opportunity. So for me to have an opportunity, it's like 
I'm going to give it, I'll do it the same way. It, even if it's a small booking, perform as if it was my last. So I got, I got to drop the jewel wherever I go. No matter how big the crowd, how small the crowd, they're going to get the same thing, hyper energy, and they get this see me be happy with them because the crowd makes me more happy as well. I love that. I wish that I was there this year. Um, we'll definitely catch you when we're in Chicago. Um, but <clears throat> speaking about like your music, one of the things that me and Sam both love about your work is that, you know, not only are you instrumental in like founding footwork for footwork, but also you always like push your art forward. How do you keep on like finding new ideas and innovations and like prevent being like stuck in the past? Everything is, I take advantage of everything that's around me. Everything. Everything, I got tracks that are, when people hear them, sometimes they be like, where does track come from? We never heard this. Uh, and sometimes, depending on uh, the, the set time, if it's, if I have a big, great open window, I would go back into my archives of what I started off with. And the people be like, where do these tracks come from? And this one guy, he was like, uh, I know all your, he said, I know a lot of your music. He said, but these are a lot of joints that nobody ever heard. And I say, you know what? These are the hidden tracks that helped me grow. But the, the labels, I wouldn't say the labels didn't overlook them. The labels didn't get them and uh the way they was recorded uh, i still got some bastard to do with them but they hit strong so we call them the b-sides the b-side tracks is the ones that if you in the spot and you hear me play the b-side tracks you would go nuts and they they still compliment what i do so uh the the tracks is just there and my motivation, like I said, it comes from everything around me. I could just hear something or hear a sound. If it's something I never thought of, if I just grab it. And uh, sometimes I still have ideas that I haven't even put down on, uh, on, on the recording yet, but I still remember them, like remember them. And if it's something that strikes me to say, oh, there it goes. Uh, I, and I can have her sitting right in front of me in my uh, collection. And then I said, okay, let me go grab it. Same thing as like one of the, uh, when I did uh, All Over. All Over was was one of them. And I'm like, oh man, I forgot about, I need to work on All Over. Due to I got uh, Ableton Push, um, I have uh, Native Instruments gear. And with that, that gave me a better outlook on just going back at it with a fresh idea, not taking it from where I did it for the first time. And it just it just came out like flooded like butter, just like running water. And uh, I asked the label, I said, I want you to listen to something that I made just for a test run. And the label heard it. They were like, we must have this. <laughs> no, and you said... <laughs> You said something earlier, which was, sorry, I, I want to phrase it the way that you did, but basically when you were at like Pitchfork this year, you were like amazed that it had like come to this, like after the pandemic and like that we were here. And I was wondering, like maybe even thinking back to 
like the early days of footwork music. Are you surprised at how far we've come from that? Yes, very, very surprised. Very surprised as well as uh, as it was the doors was opening. Uh, like I would say, I don't know what year I was first approached. Uh, it was through DJ Rashad. Uh, me and him always had a job. It was like every six or seven months I would see him and he would just pop up. But I knew he was at work. He, uh, I think he worked on a cruise liner for a certain amount of time. And one day he came to my job when I was working on 59th and Western. And I was, I'm always, was always happy to see Rashad. And he was like, hey, bro, uh, it's a uh, label that's from overseas that's looking to uh, start doing some, uh, some EP, EPs as well as uh, compilations. And he say, uh, giving me the rundown. And he was like, are you open to get down with us? For sure, you my guy. But then the stage started opening. It was I just took it day by day. Uh, I was actually asked to do an album like right after Bangs and Works Volume 1. But I turned it down. And uh, I felt to work. Uh, yeah, not yet. For some reason, it just came out. No, not yet. Uh, then 2012, uh, Rashad Spin was out on tour, and that's when I made Area 72. And when I gave Rashad Area 72, no one knew that I ever made it, not even here in the States. So I sent it to Rashad. I told him, here, this is something I tried to do different. I uh, had one of those moments of, oh, let me do something, make this track more memorable and make it just stand out. And I get an email back and Rashad was like, oh, Area 72 is, is doing this thing. So I said, okay, cool. So uh, it was, I think it was like in the summertime of uh, 2012. So I'm walking down the street in downtown Chicago and my phone rings. And it was our crossfire, watch it witness. So he says, hey man, what's, he say, what's with that Area 72? So I took like three steps, like Area 72. I'm like, nobody knows about Area 72. Nobody, don't even, I like, how do anybody know the name of Area 72? I gave it to Rashad, I'm saying this to myself. So, I get another phone call. Hey, bro, I just heard that track, Area 72. I'm like, how did you hear Area 72? They're like, Rashad just played it from London uh, on Tim and Barry's uh, Don't Watch That TV. And I was like, what? I saw it two days later. And I was like, never expected it to happen. A track that was made in Chicago never played on any PA. It was just played through headphones. I made it. Sent it to Rashad. Rashad actually stopped within his set and says, oh, this is Area 72 from our people. And he played it from the beginning. And I was like, what just happened? Uh, I say like, right after that, that's when I get an email from Planet Moon, and Planet Moon says, 
can we uh, get an album? I said, yeah, now you can get an album. And then here come Legacy. That must have been so crazy at the time. Yes. <laughs> also, me and Sam both love DJ Rashad. Um, and then um, also sort of like um, a few years ago, like I think we in 2015, we saw in an interview that you talked about how like purity is what you aim to pursue in your music. Um, and we we're wondering, is that still like a motivating force behind your work or has something else taken more precedent? It's, it's, it's still the same. Uh, just still there's a lot of other stuff that's uh, coming in as well. So I still try to fire, follow what we call protocol. Uh, just whatever my mind was setting, things that is, let me deal with those first. Or sometimes it'll come to what they both or whatever else would combine with it and it, I could formulate it all into one. And it just sits in its right. Definitely. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and we'd love to like ask a couple questions also about some tracks off the new album. Um, so I know you recorded Haters Increase the Heat shortly after um, your previous album was released. Did you know that that was going to take you in a new direction or was that was it intentional that this was like a new piece of work or were you just kind of recording and putting out music? Well, uh, Haters at Christy Heat was actually uh, recorded before uh, I Tell You What came out. Oh, before. So, okay. so uh, well, we was getting ready to uh, make the announcement because it came out, uh, I think, I know I did Haters at Christy Heat in January of, uh, I think it was, that that year with 2018 yeah yeah so it was i just did it and then after that i just kept building kept building kept building more tracks then going out on tour uh being inspired sometime i would take my uh mpc with me and create so after the album came out i started running these tracks and next thing you know um I was like, well, it's time for another album. And so a lot of the tracks that I was making that was new, only I knew they was new besides the people that was being uh, told while I was there. The labels was catching on that I'm putting up video, like, they got some more tracks. This dude got more tracks. That, that was better than off the last album. That's just how it worked. Just I'm actually working on something now, and the album just came out. That's just me. So I'm, I'm always ahead of schedule. There's something new, and like when haters increased the heat, it was more of something took place, and I paid attention. Uh, I'm like, you know what? It's gonna always be haters, no matter where you go. Um, and I felt some energies, some type of way, and I'm like, you know what? One thing that I was always good at and people didn't know is uh, I don't do what they consider diss tracks. I used to do those and I take all diss tracks personally. And uh, but it's more about I will show you how I do it, but uh, we call it on wax. And a lot of people don't wouldn't even know I was just talking about them. But 
if it ever came to the point of saying they figured out like who is this about and if it's about them i'll tell them hey, it was about you and, and and i would point out to how did it happen so in other words i tell them be careful for who you mess with because uh i could get you with silence and you wouldn't even know it. you'd be walking past and i just be you know what you bought it to yourself <laughs> but i try not to go that way but hate is increasing he, it, it did his job <laughs> Um, also we know that for the album, um, your, your last work, I know you talked a bit about how you like saw fans responding. Um, and we were wondering, like, have you seen a different response to this album? And if so, like, has it surprised you in any way? This whole album just surprised me. I did, I did not understand. Uh, I thought I was, I was looking for what's happening on this album, the last album. And uh, I guess dealing with the pandemic, uh, it gave the label is just one thing, but dealing with the press uh, and the the viewers, it gave them time to really just dig into this album and just really pay attention because they had more time on their hands. And the feedback that I was getting off of this album was like beyond my dreams and uh i took it in and say you know what this it, it doesn't do nothing but help me to keep pushing forward like it comes in its own timing i can't force anything to come the way i expect this just i do and i did enjoy this well this is the, uh actually the first album that i have done out of all the albums i did that on this tour run that i enjoyed playing uh the tracks uh i know i didn't get through all the tracks from off the album but those that were able to be pushed uh for promotion prior to the album coming out i made sure i ran those tracks uh for the fans that had already purchased it listened to it but then was able to play other tracks within the album as well and they gravitated to them. And then I was pulling out stuff from, uh, I tell you what, that I barely played when I had the album. And they ate it all up. And I was like, man, I got to the point to where uh, I kind of felt something that was going to happen uh, due to be back out traveling, uh, see the Playing here in Chicago was home, but going overseas to play my first show overseas was uh, October the 8th at Cafe Ocho. Played two hours, and the track that I ended with was uh, Another Night's Party. And for some reason, Another Night's Party was the track that ended perfect. I'm talking about it ended perfect. And uh, I think it was Cafe, Cafe Auto. I played the next day with their, like, I, I think played Cafe Auto from 10, a, 10, 10 p.m. to uh, the 1 a.m. With, uh, with everything, with, I had two sessions. Then I traveled from London into Manchester, got to Manchester at 
four o'clock in the morning and played Manchester from six o'clock in the morning to eight a.m. Jumped from there, like three hours rest, took the train from Manchester up into Bristol. When I got to Bristol, I had like about four hours of rest before I played. So all three shows, I ended up with another night to party. The reaction was totally different. The people was there going crazy. And when I was in uh, Bristol and when I was in London, any of those tracks, any of those sets with that, I literally cried because of the reaction that I got from that crowd. And when they heard that track and the way it ended, it was like, they all just went nuts. And it was like, one of my favorite tracks to produce. And it came back and said, it, it gravitated to me, even though I made it, it says, uh, thank you again, even though you made it. <laughs> oh, that's such a beautiful moment. And it sounds like you had a busy October. <laughs> yeah. Also, the fact that you had people going wild at 8 a.m. for that, it really says yeah. something, right? Um, we just have a couple more questions. Go ahead. First, I want to ask about the track. Um, sorry, I just got distracted. First, I just wanted to uh, ask about the track Beauty Speak of Sounds. Um, it really resonated with me on my first couple listens. It felt like there was so much like space and there was like this theme of Africa going through the track. Could you talk about like what that track meant to you to produce? Oh, it was, uh, I end up, uh, as the album was finished, um, I get a text back from the label and it says, oh, we got all the tracks that we need. But then it was some decision making time and it was like, well, would you say we got, we know it'll do 14, so we end up doing 12. And so it was this one track that was on there that didn't make the cut that I looked at saying, uh, I'm not going to argue with it because there's nothing to argue with. I will save it for later because me as the artist, I know the relationship that we at the label have. So we were like, uh, we're going to make a track. I said, I will make another track to replace it because I, that's when I found out that uh, all my life made the cut. And I was like, all my life. So I'm like, okay, cool. So uh, I think I've sat on that tr track for like about a month and a half and I started it. And I said, uh, let me start this track off. And I just walked away from it. But every day, my wife would listen to uh, Afro House. And it was this track that she, that it, it was just on the, on, the, on the TV as it played. We didn't know the name, but, but I could catch myself bobbing my head like, I like this track. So I didn't think nothing about it. So I get this email. I said, oh, how's the last track coming along? I'm like, oh, now I can finish this track. So I went, stopped making it. And I said, let me compliment what I was hearing. Just put it in my own way. And I went to work. And... I was like, I want this to be uh, something to put myself somewhere that I'd never been, but 
just I think I could have a relationship with and expressing how I feel from while I'm standing at. And that's what I created. Beauty Speaks of Sound. And I sent it to the label. And when the label first heard it, they was like, this is a masterpiece. I was like, oh. <laughs> and that's how we end up. Beauty Speaks of Sound. <laughs> You got to give tribute to your wife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, our last question is just like, what do you want people to take away from your newest project? And also like, if you have anything that you're working on or excited for um, that you want to share? What are, I'm just more of a person that would tell people, enjoy the album. Um, be motivated if you if it's anything within the album that motivates you. Uh, take it and run. Um, put become what you feel that you need to become, but don't never try to mimic. Uh, it's easy to try to mimic somebody else, and mimicking someone else will keep you in a slump that you might grow into that you never get out. But it's a lot of up and coming artists that's forever is coming. And one of the things I express and say, do not plan your future. Love what it is that you do, especially with your talent and your gift. And always be expecting uh, in due time, there will be a great opportunity. But you got to understand when the opportunity is there because dealing with uh, art form or industry or something that's with a di different genre, uh, such as footwork, what we do the after myself, Rashad, Spear, and Tracksman was able to travel, we understood something. The door was already open. We opened the door. The hard work has been done. The door is open. And uh, it's not the people outside of Chicago. It's the people in Chicago that don't catch. Uh, and it becomes to what I think is politics, is favoritism. No, it's not. It's uh, who you are and how you carry yourself and conduct yourself, no matter where you go, even in your own home. Be, be real and be genuine and uh, being open-minded uh, and taking on all comers and saying, these are human beings just like you. And it will open up a greater opportunity. It won't take you as long as it took us. Just you will be able to get to a point in time to where, hey, we made it. But one thing I tell people is, um, the my legacy has already been set. Uh, I still got work to do. And who knows, uh, might change the, the genre again uh, because we got that power. And uh, my mind is somewhere beyond journey within music. So who knows? It might be another one come from me or somebody else that's been influenced. No, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. But thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Oh, you're um, welcome. We really appreciate it. For tuning in to this week's episode of two virgins we hope you enjoyed getting to know rp boo and check out his new album established 
You can find this episode on our website, quarantinecontent.com or on our weekly newsletter, The Q. See you next week.